Are we talking Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 112. I'm Brentley. I'm Dan. Um, and don't forget, before we get into it today, to like, comment, subscribe, do all those things, share the show with your friends. It really helps us grow. We just got monetized. We're going to have a grifter stream coming up at some point in the future uh, where we celebrate uh, the fact that you can give us money on YouTube. Yes, and then when we get demonetized, and then we can we'll have a demonetized stream. We'll probably do like a half an hour on YouTube and then maybe switch it over to Rumble so we can actually speak the truth. Clearly. But you can also donate if you want, so please give us your In the money. interim, yes. You can, uh, there's links in the description. You can give us money. Daniel has a subscribe star, Patreon? I do have a Patreon, Patreon. separate thing from this. I have a sure. Ko-Fi now. Ko-Fi is interesting. Um, but anyway, I want to welcome back our favorites from Burlington. Up there, little Kandahar, <laughs> Mr. Joshua Flockham. We have uh, his producer, Kevin, and uh, Christopher Aaron Felker is the head of the Republican Party in Burlington. Yes. Elected head? Correct. Yes. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you all for joining us yeah, yeah. and uh, finding the time to hang out with us. We appreciate it. Hi, guys. This is actually kind of a, a special episode, too. This is the first time we've had three guests all together in a formal episode, because we do live stream sometimes and we'll have a round table. But this is the first time we've had three people on at once, so that's pretty cool. Josh has been on the show before, which was a couple years ago now, which is crazy to think about. I think that was like two years ago. I know, we've been meaning to have Josh back, but so yeah. much has been happening so fast, and it's all happening in Burlington, which is why we wanted to bring the boys on to talk to you guys and to sort of just have some time to elaborate the, the situation because Josh spends a lot of time on his show. It's the Disaffected Podcast. In case you haven't heard of it, go go subscribe to them. They're amazing. Yes, please watch that show. I, you know, I'm going to state right here on the record. I think that is one of the most important shows out right now about the culture war and the things happening in this country. Please, please, please go subscribe to, to Disaffected. Go support them. Go subscribe to their Patreon. Like, do not Patreon. Subscribe Star and Substack and all those things, and Rumble. And if you subscribe with uh, $10 a month at the Substack or the Subscribe Star, you get access to the Disaffected Discord server, which is like always popping and fun. Uh, and it just keeps growing. So thank you, boys. Uh, so you get a special name. You become a Disaffectant. <laughs> <laughs> so good. party. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the that's, a, that's a special high level, yeah. like founding donors. Founding donors. Or it is definitely a Fed free zone. $100 so. minimum. Fed free zone. I'm sure there's like one or two feds in there already, and they're paying for that. You, you think they'll filter it already? Hot. <laughs> I hope they're hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's jump right into it. And I kind of, I love to do backstory stuff when I have guests on. And I wanted to get a little bit more about the backstory of Disaffected to people, you know, and we've never had Kevin on the show to talk about that. But how did you guys team up? What was the, what was the uh, moment where you kind of, were pushed over the edge and you were like, you know what, we're going to formally get louder and talk about the things that we're seeing happening because we're just fed up with all this shit. I don't know what the moment we were pushed over the edge was, but I do remember uh, there was a there was an issue going on in Burlington with a gay bar called Mr. Sister, which the trans community found unacceptable. And this, this is, I didn't know Josh actually at the time. This was just when I was meeting you and I, um, I saw some cunty thing you said online, and <laughs> I thought, Facebook. I'm not the only one. And we set up, um, we set up a, a dinner date and had uh, 
dinner at Lunig's and I think it just, or lunch at Lunig's and I think it just came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was Kevin, the show was Kevin's idea. Um, he really wanted to have uh, a sort of, when we talked about it in the beginning, a sort of old, old timey talk radio mm -hmm. um, kind of thing. Obviously it turned into video as well, but he, he would, he would, we'd get going, you know, because the two of us, I think were starved for other, for peers who actually saw the same things that we did, that we saw and that, and that were sensible. And Kevin and I would talk for hours and hours and bitch about this stuff. And he'd say, oh my God, I wish I had a microphone. You know, this is the kind of stuff I want, you know, I want to put into a show. And, and so he said, you know, do you want to do a show? And at first I was, I didn't want to. Because he's shy. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm, not shy, I'm not shy, but it, I was still I was still working in the nonprofit world, and I was very scared uh -huh. of being canceled. Uh, I'm obviously not scared anymore, and in fact, it's probably the best thing that can that sometimes it's the best thing that can happen to be just shoved out of the club entirely until you say, "Okay, this is dirt. I want nothing to do with it anymore. It has nothing that I want. I'm going to do something different." So that's yeah. where it came from. Yeah. It's an incredibly uh, freeing feeling, isn't it? Like once, like I understand the fear of wanting to step forward. It's not, it's a story that I hear from a lot of people, even here in Burlington and all throughout Vermont, as to why they're afraid to enter the conversation on some subject. Yeah. As somebody who has been in the public eye and had a lot of negative press written on me, especially on the transgender issue, I can tell you that it is an incredibly freeing moment in your life when you say, fuck it, I'm just gonna be honest and I'm not going to try and um, mince my words. I'm just going to make sure that I'm not trying to be intentionally insulting to somebody, but I'm going to be completely truthful. And then it's amazing. It's like a 50 pound weight is lifted off of your shoulders. You start walking down the street and you have much more confidence. Instead of staring at the ground in front of you, you start looking at the people in front of you again. It is a freeing experience, yeah. It's definitely liberating, Brent, and I also know from experience. But yeah, it comes with a lot of difficulties as well, obviously. And we know Josh got pushed out of his job and all of that stuff, and that's crazy. Honestly, I am not surprised that the show was Kevin's idea. Um, last time we were in Burlington, um, which, ah, that was a month ago already, right? Mm -hmm. A little longer than that. Um, yeah. Josh and I were speaking privately, and you said something to me, Josh, that was very... Um, impactful to me but you said i really don't want to be doing this and i felt that and i believe you like i can tell that you're the type of person who prefers to keep themselves you know you want to hang out with your cats and your lamps and just kind of live your life but that there's just something so deeply wrong and abhorrent about what's happening that you simply could not shut up and it's not something that you're doing for attention it very much is something that you're just doing because you feel compelled by your conscience to do it even though you would prefer to not have to I, yeah, I think I think when we were having that conversation, what I what I meant to say sort of specifically was I I don't want to have to fight the specific fights mm -hmm. that Kevin and I are fighting on the show. I don't want to have to talk about the abuse of children that we call a disgusting euphemism called gender affirming care. I wish I could talk about other things. Um, I don't want to have to have these fights because what's going on is an absolute horror. And I wish it weren't real, but I, in in, I would I would be dishonest if I said I didn't enjoy hamming it up in front of a camera. I do. Um, at this point, yes. If this weren't something, I'd find some other way to do this because I I like doing it. I like having a show. Um, 
But I, you know, I like public speaking too. I did 20 years of public speaking in a professional capacity, you know, educating people, the nonprofit, I'm sorry, that sounds so pompous. I've got to find a different way to say it. But I like that, you know, so the sort of thing that I do on the show, I've been doing for 20 years with uh, fewer vulgarities. Uh, so it, it shows you're very good at it. Honestly, I'm impressed. And one of the things that I walked away from after my trip to Burlington was just how professional you guys are with the way you do the show, you know, with you and Kevin as a team. And just it's it's honestly, it really is. I understand why you don't like to call it a podcast and you like to call it a show because it's different than what we do. And it's, it's different than what a lot of other <laughs> shows do that are just more like podcasts. Well, you know, it's sort of that's part of it but i mean and again kevin you know kevin is an actual media professional he does radio and tv and live and remote this is his livelihood this is how he makes his money the the packaging of this show the production of this show is him you know i give the content i'm the face but the fact that it looks and sounds the way it does is because he has that skill and he has that equipment but it's part part of Part of the whole thing, you know, you've heard me say, Ugh, I hate calling it a podcast. Part of it is because I think it is something a little bit, I'm not trying to talk basic podcasters down, but I think that what we're doing is something a little different. But the other thing that irritates me about that is general, not specific to this. It's this very modern way that we have of, we, we rename old, there's always been the phenomenon of new, um, new bottles for old wine, right? You know, you call something new. That has always happened, but it has been an accelerated overdrive for at least 10 years. We're changing what we call things every eight or nine months. And what bothers me about it is we are changing what we call things based on the brand names of particular electronic devices. Hmm. Podcast comes from iPod, right? That's true. Um, uh, you know, we people, we, you know, it's sort of like we said when the Walkman came out in the 80s, every, every small portable device became a Walkman. So I had a Walkman, even though it was a JCPenney model. Uh, the same thing happened with iPads. You know, you, we didn't say MP3 player anymore. We said my iPod. But everything now is like, you know, it's a podcast, you know, because it came from an Apple product. And I'm, I just, I'm just, ugh. never mind. Enough. Doesn't <laughs> me. Oh, <laughs> uh, boys. Um, so the other thing I wanted to get into a little bit was what's happening up there in Burlington, Vermont. Burlington, Vermont, for people who don't know, who've never been, who are not familiar, it's like the epicenter of wokeness on the East Coast. It's like an East Coast Portland. Um, and they have their own, they have their own little, uh, you know, Antifa people that are crazy and a homeless problem and a, a very feckless uh, city council. And it's, it's, I've been paying attention for a while since the boys have been talking about it. It's a, a really, it shows you what the future looks like in the nation if we are to go like full woke. Like it, it, that's what is really useful. And, and I think I, I thought of why I like to highlight because when you see that, when you see where we're going by looking at Burlington or Portland or any of these places, um, it gives you the opportunity to choose something else and to speak out against that uh, that future where you are, wherever you happen to be. Yeah, there's a, a sort of uniformity about it over there that is uh, 
uncanny. That's the only way I can put yeah, it. Yeah, people and sort of dress the same, talk like, the same, walk the same, and it's like uh, it is like the same way. Pronounce words the same way. Yes, it's it's beyond the normal. Okay, here's the culture of this. You can feel it. That's why we did that ep- that episode called "Welcome to Stepford, Vermont." Yeah. If anyone is actually interested in, okay, what is Vermont like? What what are these guys talking about? Go to Disaffected and and look up our recent episode, "Welcome to Stepford." That's an entire hour dedicated to what's going on here. I'd like to take a minute to highlight the beauty of Vermont. It does look like a Norman Rockwell painting at all times. It's just, it has been um, colonized. And that colonization began decades ago when Bernie Sanders came here. And that's when the um, the Back to the Land movement came. And a lot of, that's when Vermont started, yeah, in the 70s. That's when Vermont started to change over and uh, migrate from being a largely red Republican state to a predominantly supermajority Democrat slash progressive state. And uh, and Bernie brought a lot of attention to Burlington and to the progressive agenda. And that brought more people here by the busload, um, whether to the go to UVM or load. to just like pitch a tent because of our wonderful housing policy in the city. I, I love that you that you plugged our city council as uh, feckless and they are they are pretty worthless. You know, there has been a a decades long uh, failure in leadership to like really try and tackle our housing problems. And just recently, Councillor McGee said, you, we failed. So we just need to be able to offer people solutions. So, and that solution from Councillor McGee is, if you have a tent, pitch it on any city property. I'm sorry, but I find it appalling that my government officials <laughs> are saying, we fail, our new housing policy is get yourself a tent. That's, yeah. that's, Worthless use leadership. public property, <laughs> use public property, defecate on it, take yeah. the public commons, make it inconvenient for other people. Outs, we're going to out. See, I don't need. Yeah, we've got to treat anyone, else, pro- treat anyone else who's passing by as if they're on your private property. Yeah. Glare oh. at them if they come too close to your tent. Growl. <laughs> yep. Yeah. D- describing it as a, like being colonized is an interesting way to put it. And, you know, I'll share some of my observations about it when I was there for people who've never been there. But if you go to Burlington and you walk around the business district and you walk by all the little shops and the stores and all this stuff, you will see. Black Lives Matter on their window and the the trans flag with the gay flag and all this stuff. If you drive through the little neighborhoods in the back streets and you just look at people's houses, you'll see Black Lives Matter in their window. You'll see the pride flags in their window. It's bizarre. And then even at the end of Church Street where the church is, the historic church, there's a big Black Lives Matter sign in front of it, literally fusing this ideology with the religion there which says a whole lot in and of itself. Let's be clear. That's a UCC church, which is a non-denominate. Well, it's okay. the United Church of Christ. No, but... not. It's not. It's, uni- it's Unitarian Universalist Society. Oh, and people are not Christians. They are not Christians at all. I mean, I'm not a Christian myself, but if you have any notion in your head, like I used to when I was naive to this, that these people are some really elaborated um, uh, sect of Christianity, they are not. These people are, they they think of themselves. They think of themselves as the nice, uh, compassionate, caring liberals. But they are, this is, if they're a religion, they're a religion of covert narcissism, self-regard for being um, the most compassionate mommies and daddies that that can ever possibly live. And, And 
what they are, and I'm not saying this for, um, you know, for rhetorical effect, I'm, I mean what I'm saying. They're Marxists and communists. That is their religion. They are not Christians. I'd really be interested to crack open the history books of Vermont and see what role that church and that society played in the eugenics movement and around yes. the frontal lobe lobotomy yeah. movement. Yes. So I uh, really, I'd love to like crack open those history books. I am curious, like, so was that, was that church always the Unitarian? Abortion. Was that always a Unitarian church though? Because it looks historic, it looks colonial. It is, it is. it's early so, 1800s, yeah. Okay, yeah, it probably was not always, it could have been Presbyterian at some yeah, point. Yeah, I don't know either, I doubt it. I, this was not It might have been, the Unitarians have been around since the 1700s at least. Okay, okay. wow. And I know have where they all the Catholic churches are in the city. Since the 1700s? There, there were, I, I'm not up on the history, uh, in some, well, yes, I mean, uh, insufferable lesbians throughout history <laughs> sorry lesbians it's interesting i appreciate that you daniel brought up the little stickers that you see in the storefronts i mean you referenced the church Street marketplace which is technically a city department that organizes that um but those stickers that you see because the uniformity of them that's messaging that's coming from the city that they give to marketplace businesses and you know say we encourage you to post these nudge nudge wink wink it's freaking fascism they're fascists it's literally the fusion of private and public interests in order to push a political or social agenda that's textbook hey business owner i'm your landlord the city government what? can you post this little trans pride flag in your business we'd love it wouldn't want to see what happens to you if you don't textbook <laughs> awfully nice candle shop from third world blind lesbian ethiopian nuns be a awful shame if it couldn't continue <laughs> so everybody you see what you're missing if you're not watching disaffected josh does the amazing voices of uh these these crazy woke young people um the other people <laughs> the voice uh, the other thing that's happening in Vermont is, you know, Daniel mentioned the stickering in the windows, but there started, what was it, about two, three years ago now, Chris, that there was a an individual who began putting up stickers around town that said things like, no one's born in the wrong body and kids can't consent to puberty blockers and, and that's such. How, when did that start? That started... Well, two years about, ago. about three years ago, I'd say, uh, because it's 2023 now. Remember, we first all got together at your house in the beginning of 2020. Oh, that's right. Right before right COVID beginning. struck, before February. we were planning yep. the event at the library. And uh, one of our um, friends that was there with us was, um, we either, the idea got planted in his head either then or or shortly thereafter. So it's been a solid three years. Yep. And yeah, uh, well, stickering is a very common form of political speech in in a way to share messaging, in, especially in urban environments. And, and these trickled out is, slowly in the beginning. Yes, these trickled did. out real slowly. It took a while before the city and the you know neighborhood started to, um, to notice and to, respond. To take notice, yeah. And they and they, they say things like no child's born in the wrong body, uh, kids can't consent to puberty blockers, um, what uh, men shouldn't respect women's rights, spaces, and sports, 
you know, very, very anodyne, reasonable statement. And this right. drives Berlintonians crazy. I'm it's sure. important. They all call it hate speech. I mean, that, <clears throat> well, if you want to understand what this is really Kevin's project. Kevin, you should give him some backstory about what we did, what you organized with the big stickering, and then tell them about what the city council did in their resolution, how they called us basically terrorists. <laughs> right. Um, well, the, so this, the, the big stickering was sort of in response to that, and you know, because you were here. Uh, we went, uh, city council, after years and years of this stickering, they've been, and Chris has been at these meetings, this might be better for you to retell, it's been building. So in Burlington, we have these neighborhood planning assemblies, right? And so every city councilor has a, a ward or a district, and those districts uh, meet together monthly. Yeah, every With month the they community. get together. Yeah. So, you know, talk about these horrible transphobic stickers has sort of been percolating over the years. And um, you know, a few months ago, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, um, when was it? City Council? Um, oh, so they passed a resolution. I think that was March, right? May. It was the first March. city March. It was March. City meeting right after town meeting day is when they passed it. And I remember because we were, we had election day on Tuesday, and then on Friday we were like sending around the uh, the agenda for the city council and the resolution saying, can you believe this? I can't believe they're slipping this in right under the radar after we were all like just working together and celebrating four days earlier. They So they realize that what we're doing is a, a matter of free speech, right? They know they can't do anything about it, but they're really, on the other hand, they have a very angry base. I'd call it a base. Um, you know, the, the very loud trans community, the supporters, which everyone in Burlington, right, um, is, uh, is really upset about these stickers. So they want to do something for them, but they know there's nothing they can really do. So they're, they passed this ordinance saying that they were going to look into expanding the state hate crime or lobbying the state government to expand the state hate crime laws. What else did they well, you're right. They, they, uh, one of the be it further resolved lines was to encourage the Burlington delegation to Montpelier to look into expanding hate crime statutes, which means currently stickering is a civil fine. Right, but hate crimes and the hate crimes that we're talking about a, a felony here. So mm -hmm. we're talking about moving it from a civil ticket to uh, the criminal justice system. And um, yeah, and Kevin's absolutely right. They, they knew at least. Um, a good portion of the leadership in this city knew that this is a First Amendment issue, but instead of having the courage and the leadership abilities to try and stand up and explain to the community um, civics and the First Amendment, and being a grown, they decide to lead a angry mob and codify hatred yeah. towards us and Fred and and other gays and lesbians. People should understand this is a very targeted. I mean, if they if they pursue, here here are the two things that they claim they're trying to do about the stickering. One is local and one is statewide. The first thing they'd like to do is they want to see if they can change the city ordinances, just city. Oh, yeah, you're right. So that uh, they can rewrite the ordinances to make what we are doing um, the city's version of criminal, more punishable than it already is. Okay, so that's what they want to do in the city. They want to go further, though, and they want to get the state to actually criminalize basically our speech, our stickering. 
um, as hate uh, as hate crimes. They, but the thing is, the more they pursue this, they are going to lose. I mean, we may have to fight them. We may have to get into the legal system, but they will eventually lose because if we have them right on camera at mm. a meeting, at a meeting that they, what they their do, intent is. they do. Yeah. And uh, Ben Travers, one of our city councilors, is a lawyer. He is on tape admitting that he knows and comprehends that this is a First Amendment issue. So he's already impeached his own credibility right on tape. They are not going to win this, even in a liberal state like this. But what people should also understand, walk through Burlington. This is like any college town. Look at the lampposts. Look at the back of street signs. Mm -hmm. There are countless thousands of different stickers advertising local beers, um, bands that are going to be playing at the bar. Um, events down at the waterfront. Planned Parenthood stickers. Planned Parenthood stickers. Pro-trans stickers. All stickers everywhere, all over the place. It could not be more obvious that they are, they are angry, angry, yes. angry that they can't make us the only ones who aren't allowed. Yes. And that that's one thing I wanted to bring up here is the double standard. Like Kevin said, there are other political stickers from their side being posted too. So it's perfectly okay to say, kill a turf. Right or to uh, imply threats. To they, have, they have put threats of violence against Christopher. Yeah, right yeah. in public, and we have we have pointed this out. We have brought this directly to the city council. They will not acknowledge it. It's you talk yeah. to them and they just right, right won't say there. anything. You know, that's a good one too, Bretley. No turfs on our streets, Falker. Directly targeting them. Now, what the right. the argument that they try to make though is that the illegality is because of the adhesive gum right on the back of the sticker right it's not actually um it's not actually vandalism because there's no destruction of property from a right. sticker it's not but under the graffiti statute or ordinance in the city um use of a gum adhesive it constitutes graffiti now and they would again, like to like enforce many, that against just us right well as you see by the stickers that Brentley's showing you those are the ones that have been targeted but josh is also pro providing another point that there are it's it's a very common form of expression uh whether it's for advertisement or whether it's you lost your cat or you're having a party or the afl cio is having a meeting like yep. uh, it's a very common way you know, you post a flyer, you put uh, clear packing tape around it. Guess what? That's gum adhesive. This is how the law is defined. And it's interesting because Josh is also right. During the council meeting, they made it very clear what their intent was, that they are trying to find a carve out or navigate a channel to criminalize just, just this type of speech on stickers. Yep. Uh, which is fascinating. And you're right, Ben Traverse, a lawyer, already admits during the council meeting, but also you can backtrack a few weeks. And there were, you know, obviously, because it's a hot button issue, there have been news reports about this. But our state's attorney, which is what a district attorney is in most other places, she's on record stating that this is, she would have a very difficult time trying to um, try this case because it's a First Amendment issue. And then to go one level even further up, the assistant. U.S. attorney for the District of Vermont is on record just recently at a at a neighborhood planning assembly meeting. Finally, an official with some courage to actually show up in the room and explain to the community how this is a First Amendment issue and how who, who, this did who because, was this person and what did they say? He, 
what was the clip that I sent to you of the, uh, the I don't know his name. He was an assistant attorney general okay. for Vermont out of the uh, federal office here. And he sat down, he really explained to people like, look, it's not uh, destruction of property or vandalism because it's a stickering there. It's not um, <clears throat> it's not a threat because it doesn't target an individual or call for violence towards that person or encourage others for violence towards them. And then the, here's the, the best part. And then he explained to the community that there's no such thing as hate speech in America. And that's just a colloquial term that mm -hmm. people use for saying things that they don't like to hear. Yeah. yeah, there is no such thing as hate speech. There never has been and there is not going to be. So and there long. isn't in a free society. No, there isn't. And there's also no such thing as a hate crime. I don't care how many people use that term. I understand what they mean to convey when they use that term, but it is not a real concept. Even though, even though, yes, there are statutes in some states that, that call things hate crimes. My position, and my position is correct, even if people aren't listening, those are invalid. These are invalid, unconstitutional laws. They are not real. I know that they're using them, but this does not exist in our constitution. And in most cases, they use them as modifiers. Yeah, it's a, right? it's a modifier. In yeah, a it's sense, an aggravator. It's a, yes, it's a right. modifier for a protected class, the same way that piggybacks off the notion that there you can have an assault or you can have an aggravated assault. And an assault right. can transcend over to aggravated if it's from a you assault a police officer or a teacher or a, me right. a medical professional in their in Because it's, it's worse if you kill somebody because you hate them as opposed to love murders. No, <laughs> I, I totally understand yeah. what you're... What I you're get Josh's about. point, yeah. A crime is a crime is a crime. So there, there is something I want to point out here at risk of maybe sounding a little bit like the libs when they say shit like, you know, check your privilege and all that stuff. But come on, people, you just got to think about it. How little real actual problems do you have to have in your life to be this offended by stickers being posted up because it's hard for me to even sympathize with their position because we're in manhattan you know we're we're in a place where there are far more crazier things happening out on the street no one has any time to even bother to to press any politicians about trying to deal with stickers because they have all these other shit all this other shit that they're dealing with so it just it, it strikes me as like incredibly I'm trying to think of the word for it, but retarded. <laughs> retarded. <laughs> I don't want to say privileged because I don't want to use that language, but it's just like, come well, on. I, I mean, know? if this is, if, I think, it, I mean, you've said it. If that is your if a primary concern, if the thing that's going wrong about your life yeah. is somebody's putting up stickers that say things that you don't yes. like, like, God bless. Busybody is something yeah. to do also. Right. right. Instead yeah. of focusing on the real problems that we have in this city, total lack of housing, the opioid addiction. People also, can you can you briefly explain what's happening? I mean, and, and a lot of these um, a lot of these organizers who are sort of against the stickering are parents of trans kids. So, mm -hmm. so right. That is, they are child abusers. That's my term right. for it. Yes, amen. They are child abusers because no child is born in the wrong body. There's yeah. no such thing as a trans child. There's no such thing as a trans identity. Trans is the process. 
that you do to somebody to medically, uh, you know, change their gender presentation yeah. or their sex presentation because they've got a head condition and nothing else works. I, I agree. With it's not the first thing we try with children who are a little confused and don't like puberty. Like, yeah, and I agree with Josh's way of saying it too. We have to stop mincing words about this. And and look, I'm not saying that there aren't parents out there who might mean well or like they're convinced by the therapists and the psychologists and the the doctors that like, oh Feckless man, parenting. my my kid is going to kill themselves if I don't do this. Sure, maybe. Maybe they are, but one of the things Josh has been saying on Disaffected, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, is like there is not enough attention being put on the parents. Far too much attention is being put just on these therapists, just on the doctors. But how many of these parents really do have good intentions, you know? And then how many of them are actually deliberately doing this? Yeah, you're right. And and, and I'm, I, well, I'm willing to be the unpopular uh, voice about this. Um, I don't. I understand that there is a difference. I personally, I can't tell detail because it is not my story to tell, but within my extended family, I have witnessed the so-called transition of a child and I've seen the desistance and I've seen the parents wake up to the insanity that they were being hypnotized into and stop and say, no, this is not gonna happen. So I I have personal, if, if, you, if people need if they need evidence that I have sympathy and empathy in order to be able to hear what I'm saying, then let me give you this evidence. I have seen this among people who I love and hug and cherish, okay? Nevertheless, nevertheless, none of that changes anything. Even the parents, and I don't believe there are nearly as many as people say there are, but even the parents who really believe they're doing the right thing are active and extreme child abusers yeah. they can change they can regret they can stop and i've seen parents do it but their nice warm feelings do not make them non-child abusers that's true and it's their responsibility Active abusers versus the parents who are just passive at home and allow themselves to be run over by the demands and the whims of their adolescent children they're not parenting part of right well that's what i'm saying I'm parents sure. are like here 12 year old has a have a smartphone and leave mommy alone yeah and so i'm wondering what percent and we know that this is spreading like a social contagion through adolescents who are addicted to their phones i'm just wondering i i know i know they're like the active parents the munchausen mommies yeah. as you'll call them uh, or that they're called who really yeah. push this like a den mother but then the kid their kids interact and spread it and it spreads to their families and then you have the parents who are passively just afraid that if they don't go along and do what their child says that they'll be reported to dcf uh that who knows maybe their kid would call their employer I you know like well you know, I mean, a lot of it so important to the system Definitely some of it has to do too with the, those passive parents who they aren't parenting, they want to be friends with their kid. And I understand that you want to be friends with your kid to some extent, but you are still the parent at the oh, end of the day. Oh, that's and not understandable. You, you're the parent at the end of the day, like you can't just give in to the whims of the kid just because the kid says so. Part of your responsibility as a parent is you Job is not to be the friend. Even the if it means that they say, I hate you, even yes. if it means that that's you know, yes. fuck you, I can't stand you, I don't want That's anything to normal. do with you. That's normal. If it's you, normal. your kid is not saying that to yeah. you. It's normal. So you can't just be nice. You have to, you have to put Haven't we crossed, 
haven't we crossed the Rubicon from a child throwing a tantrum and saying even like I hate you to their parents to running to that phone that their parents gave them and calling DCF and saying my parents are abusing me. They won't use anyway. my pronouns. Well, I, mean, yeah. I have an example. I have an example that that may illustrate this. So there's an online forum that is a gathering place for parents of, of so-called trans children who are not happy with this, who want, uh, who want, who say that they want to save their children. Uh, they want to share their stories with each other, right? So there's there's usually at least one or two posts a day. Um, I had an encounter, and I've been watching this place, and I've talked about it on the show. Um, this is just one example, but it is a representative example. This is this is representative of a great number of the parents that I've seen online. We have an essay from a mother who has a, a 16-year-old daughter who believes that she's trans. Uh, a lot of most of her friend group also believes that they're trans. Um, of course, the whole whole long essay. The mother is very upset about this. Really doesn't want to see. You know, is terrified what's going to happen when her daughter's eighteen and can legally make the choice to give herself a mastectomy. But, but, throughout this piece, and again, typical. Not this one piece. Typical and representative. Mother says, you know, well. I, you know, I I let her wear a binder and I avoid using pronouns around her because I don't want to drive her away anymore. And I know that if I get any tougher that she'll just hate me. Okay, stop it. Stop it right now. These parents, these are the sympathetic parents, right? These are the ones that we're supposed to feel bad for. These are the ones that we're talking about when people say the yeah. parents are being bullied by the doctors. The parents are being bullied by the therapists. Shut up. I don't care. No. And this woman, this mother, and I say this to any mother or father who writes this way, you want to know why your daughter turned out the way she did? Look in the fucking mirror. Yep. Okay? Look in the fucking <laughs> mirror. Yeah. Because you, these, these people, this did not just come on only because of social contagion. You look into the reflections and reminiscences of these people about how they raised their children from from the age of two or three, you will find a constellation of parenting problems and what I would call neglect, such as um, com common attributes. These parents almost exclusively, not exclusively, but yes, overwhelmingly mothers, not fathers. These women have a combination, some combination of the following traits and practices feminist orientation to the world, um, their own problems with their alleged internal gender, their feelings of not being the right kind of woman, um, vegetarian veganism. Um, I Again, and I'm going to stop here because I know that there are people who are going to be putting comments up right here who are going to get stuck there and their emotions just got activated because I said vegan and vegetarian. Listen to me carefully, please. I am not saying that it is wrong for you to decide to be a vegetarian. I'm not telling people they can't be vegan for whatever reasons they are. I am saying, however, that that kind of lefty progressive orientation to the world is correlated with this kind of hands off, my child is special, my child leads, I learn more from my children than I could ever teach them, I am my daughter's best friend, feminist, vegan, vegetarian, this sort of stuff, you find, you you are not surprised when you read these recollections, 
that the daughter or the son turned out this way because mommy and daddy paved the road for it. Yeah, there's a pattern. And I think when, when the father is present, because I think in a lot of cases, the father is, isn't even present. But when the father is he present, doesn't say shit. he's typically emasculated by this woman. Uh-huh. And that, that's, I think, you know, and it's a pattern, like you're saying. It's not like we're saying don't be vegetarian. We're just saying, hey, these people tend to be this way. And there's a there's some kind of correlation here. There's a pattern that we're seeing there. Yeah. Um, and this, this kind of leads us in, into something else really important that we have to discuss because it is the very, um, it's the very thesis of disaffected. And I'll word it the way you word it, as in the home, so in society. And what we're seeing with these people is, is, pathological character disturbances, personality disorders, or what Josh Slocum calls, or, you know, what is what is um, traditionally, called? traditionally called cluster B personality disorders. Um, talk a bit about that, you know, tell our audience what the different cluster B personality disorders are and why you think there, there really is this correlation there, because I think you're correct in that thesis. So the quick explanation, cluster B personality disorders are uh, if that term is not familiar to you, I guarantee anybody who's listening has known a cluster B. They just didn't know what the name was. This is the spectrum of disorders that includes narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and borderline generally means very emotionally unstable, manipulative, big fears of abandonment, uh, inability to control emotions, um, histrionic personality disorder, which I conceive of as very sort of very closely related to borderline and antisocial personality disorder, which people know colloquially as sociopathy or psychopathy. Cluster B is called the erratic and dramatic cluster of personality disorders. Personality disorders are a kind of mental illness that are different from what most people think of when they hear that term. It's not just depression. It's not just anxiety. It's not these things that can be, even if it's difficult, the things that can be treated. Um, cluster B disorders are, are very difficult to treat. In, in most cases, in the practical world, they're impossible to treat. There are exceptions. I'm not going to get into all the details. I'm giving a sketch here. The, the cluster B mind is the same mind that you know as the abusive parent, the abusive spouse, the manipulative boss at work who smiles to your face and undermines you on the Slack channel when they think you can't see it. Um, the mega donor at church who tries to buy everybody's love and adulation and account, a seat on the church council by donating a lot of money. Another way to think of cluster B is if you know, if you want, if you have an idea of what alcoholic behavior is like in relationship, that is a pretty good analog because these th two things go together. Um, so you do know what cluster B is. It's domestic abuse. It's emotional abuse. It's physical abuse. It's manipulation. It's gaslighting. What we are seeing is what used to be more confined to the domestic sphere has gone feral and public. I grew up in a cluster B home. My mother has borderline and narcissistic personality disorders. The abuse that I experienced from my violent stepfather and my psychiatrically deranged mother, I am now seeing these character disturbances. In public, they are applauded. Narcissism, self-regard is absolutely socially well-paid today. Gaslight is well-paid. One version of this narcissism, it's not all grandiose. So if you're thinking, oh, if I- Can you say what you mean by well-paid? Well-paid in terms of social currency. The salary that you, the claps, the likes, 
the yep. you go girls, the mm -hmm. resharing, right? You're 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 being paid in in social currency to be a narcissist. One other thing, and then I'm going to shut up here uh, and let you guys go. Um, if you think the only kind of narcissist is the easy to identify one, like for example, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, in my view, is a classic narcissist. He's grandiose. Um, he's vain. Of course, underneath the vanity and the grandiosity is insecurity, as with all narcissism. That is only one kind of narcissism, and it is not the most dangerous one. It is not the most numerous one we're seeing today. The biggest danger is what I call covert. It's not my term. Covert narcissism. These are the people who present to the world as victims. This is a very female kind of narcissism. They present as victims, but they're absolutely ruthless manipulators. They're not victims, they're manipulators. That's what the show is about. Yeah. I wanted to, to comment on the uh, the treatment thing you said, how it's almost impossible to treat some of these people. And in fact, it's, it's, it's probably even a little worse. And years ago, I read a book, which you guys have probably also read, or at least Josh probably has, called Without Conscience by Dr. Robert Hare. And Dr. Robert Hare studied psychopaths, but he was studying what I will call the failed ones, the ones who get caught, because his only his only um, sample was the prison population. Yeah. And what they found in, in the research there was like not only did trying to treat these psychopaths not do anything, in many cases it increased the rate of recidivism. And those who don't know what that means, recidivism is uh the chances by which you will reoffend or recommit a crime. So it also they, made them more effective yes. manipulators yes. because it gave them insight to how, you know, psychological processes that they didn't have before mm -hmm. the treatment. So in some trying to like cure the psychopath made them worse, which is crazy when you think about, but it kind of makes sense when you really analyze the whole thing. There is a difference. Um, the cluster B personality disorders, uh, my mind has changed over the past several years. I, I think that it is more often the case that a person who can be accurately described as being in the cluster B personality disorder range will have a number of symptoms or traits from among the four cluster mm -hmm. disorders. I believe there is a lot more overlap than there is clean delineated diagnoses. So what yes. does that mean in, in plain, plain terms? What it means is I think there, I don't think there are as many pure borderline only people or pure narcissism only people or pure histrionic only people. I think there are many more people who have helpings from each of these, but there are some people who hew more closely to the pure type. So for example, all cluster B personality disorders are severe by definition. There is no such thing as a mild cluster B personality disorder. But within the framework, within that context, you've got borderline, take, take a pure borderline, a borderline who does not have a lot of uh, overlap in the narcissism spectrum, does not have psychopathic secondary traits, okay? Assume that person exists. That person has the best chance of successful treatment for either remission or significant recovery from symptoms um, because a, a borderline is, is seriously screwed up, but she has the full range of emotion. She has anger, yeah. sadness, love, um, tenderness, um, the full range of emotions. The psychopath is the other end of the extreme. The psychopath does not have a full range of emotions. He generally has only lust, anger, 
and boredom that needs to be satisfied by risky behavior, okay? There is no curing a psychopath. There, there is no curing a psychopath ever. And if you believe that there is, you are very likely to be killed by one. Yep. Um, there, th and this is my view, and there are people who disagree with me. My own therapist disagrees with me on this. I don't believe there's any curing a full cluster B narcissist either. I think you may as well just burn all your money and burn your house down. It's a, it's a waste of time. If you can get a borderline slash histrionic, particularly when they are younger, these things tend to calcify in late adolescence and early adulthood. If you can find a person like that who has some self-awareness and who is able to accept emotionally that the problem may be them, not other people, it's very painful to do that. I, yeah. I actually have sympathy for these people because I was that person. I think at one point I qualified for a borderline personality disorder diagnosis. I don't believe that I do anymore, but I do still have traits that I have to manage. Um, those people can make significant recovery and some of them will recover almost completely. But in the real world, okay, I'm not talking about what's theoretically possible anymore. I'm talking about the world that we live in. That requires a confluence of circumstances that almost never happens today. It requires one, a person with enough ego strength to hear the problem is you. Number two, it requires an actual therapist who understands this. It is not going to fluff it and say, you just feel more, you're just an empath. These people only encourage borderline, they don't cure it. And number three, um, I can't remember what third one is. The fact is that given the terrible state of most professional therapists today who are actually anti-therapeutic, and the fact that many borderlines also have a heavy dollop of narcissism or secondary psychopathic traits, in the real world, most of them are never going to get cured. They're only going to get worse. Yeah, legislatively, legislatively, there have been changes to uh, to the laws, especially in our state, that um, that limit a certified therapist or a registered therapist's ability to really treat people at times, especially around the gender issue. Um, specifically, because so many people who present with gender dysphoria also have um, underlying cluster B comor comorbidities. And as such, therapists feel that the only way to treatment, either that they're allowed to legally or that their patient will adhere to, is by affirming and ignoring the underlying comorbidities. Uh, and so they are, you're absolutely right, they're, they're being they're being ignored and they're being enabled by only um, focusing on this other thing. But yeah, the vein, the physical, the okay, well, if you keep cutting yourself, maybe you'll achieve that, that peace that you're searching for. But really, it's not. You're right. And I, I would say that the third thing that you have to work on to actually be cured or, or recover from those illnesses is the desire. Because yes. when you are suffering from these um, conditions, that tend to be very controlling upon many aspects of one's life. You yeah. have to have the desire, the will, the drive, the spiritual um, connection to try and fight that every day to be a better person. If you yeah. don't have those three elements, you're really lost. Yeah, you, you have to be able to recognize it's that. Like control for a narcissist. Among all of them, I mean, if if part of the definition of being a narcissist is not being able to see yourself at, you know, being at fault for anything, then how, how is it even possible? 
Yeah, that, well, that's what it comes down to. Like Josh said, you have to have that sort of ego awareness to realize like, all right, I am the problem and this is affecting my interpersonal relationships with that's other people. Contradiction with being right. a narcissist, right? I think some can is what Josh is saying. Some can recognize that, but a lot of them cannot and they probably can't be treated. Here's a, let me give you a little bit of psych jargon and it, uh, not to give you jargon, but because it, 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 the listeners, I think you'll actually appreciate this. this I love jargon. It better. There's what separates the personality disorder, at least the cluster B, I'm not as conversant with clusters A and C. What separates them from what we think of as traditional or treatable mental illness, like depression, anxiety, da, 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 da. And there is overlap again, general sketch, supply your own, not alls. Um, there are two, there's a con, there are concepts called ego syntonic and ego dystonic. Uh, these are fancy words for things that you'll understand. Ego syntonic means, okay, I'll give you an example. Jane has, to part of Jane's personality is that she is extroverted and bubbly. She gets a lot of energy. She likes being around people. She loves to have conversations. She feels good when she socializes and she tends to be a good conversationalist. The, that part of Jane's personality, her extroversion feels to Jane ego-syntonic. That means it feels like a natural part of her, a good part of her, something that, something that is consonant and harmonizes with how she sees herself. Now, let us say, for example, that Jane has intermittent bouts of major depression. They may come on every six months and she gets into bed and doesn't leave for a week. Jane experiences her depression as ego-dystonic. It is foreign to her. It is alien. It hurts. It feels like an impingement from outside and she is motivated to get rid of it. Okay. Ego syntonic, ego dystonic. The problem with cluster B is that most cluster Bs are ego syntonic. They do not experience their fucked up thinking yeah. as fucked up. They experience that as this is who I am. It's other people who are the problem. The very condition itself militates against treatment because they can't accept that there is anything wrong with them. It's exactly what happens. Yeah. And it could be even worse when you're talking about the antisocial types and the like full-blown psychopaths. Not only do they do they not experience that as there's anything wrong with them, they view the opposite as there's something wrong with you and it's weakness. It's weakness. You don't have the ability to do what I can to gain power, to keep it, to control people, to rise up the ladder, all that stuff. Like, so you're weak for having those pesky little feelings and emotions like empathy and stuff. And that is like the worst of the worst type. Like yeah. truly scary shit. Like you, like I don't even think people who are normal or normalish can fathom the type of darkness that is inside someone like that. Well, that's where we get our archetypes of monsters the vampire, and the vampire. Yeah. I mean, these things are common tropes in human existence because we have an awareness that these type of people exist, that they are an intraspecies predator, and that, you know, we have to be aware of them and we have to guard against them. It used to be sort of common knowledge, but then, you know, over time, we sort of lose that. And now with this inclusive wokeness, any sort of critic criticism of somebody's personality or how they behave in public is immediately not tolerated. You're seen as, you know, a bigot because you don't want to tolerate somebody's grandiose narcissism. Uh, Lobachevsky actually used to call the, the cluster B uh, characteropathies or character disorders, character disturbances, because they're what was not, they didn't understand the science. They didn't have the words for it back then. 
but what they saw was that there was an inherent flaw in the individual's character and the way that they operated in the world was necessarily predatory. And he used to call, you know, he called them, he had different terminology. There was the essential psychopath, mm -hmm. which was sort of a spider in the middle of the web. He was enabled by what's called a spellbinder. And a spellbinder is somebody who can craft the lingo of the party in order to justify, they can hijack an event like this Jordan Mealy situation and turn it into something that they can use as a political rallying cry to, you know, uh, motivate their troops. And their troops are basically just really ignorant, uh, damaged people who don't have jobs and are motivated to get out into the street and, and freak out for any little thing because that's how they derive meaning from their existence, unfortunately. And we've gotten to the point where things are just so bad across the board, especially in a lot of these urban areas uh, for a lot of people, that there's a, a small chunk of those kind of people just waiting in the wings for the next big whatever to happen. Yeah. You know, we saw what happens in the 2020 BLM riots, and they're trying to keep that thing yeah, they, going. They want the summer of love, the sequel. And we all know how much sequels are freaking terrible. So we'll see what happens. But you, I think the point that Brett makes is a really important one. It's like you, you could start a movement or, a, you know, a political party or any, you know, whatever, and have the, the best of purest of intentions. And if a psychopath rises to the helm of that movement, they will flip those intentions right on its head. And, and they'll, they'll keep portraying it as if it is just as good and pure as it was when you started it with the good intentions, but it, it no longer is. They love, taking over, they love taking over classic brands and they, because they get all of the authority and, from brands. And they don't believe the things that they're saying in the spouse. They don't. It's just a matter of using, you know, using This is the other thing that's different yeah. between these types of people and normal people. Normal people talk with words in order to communicate ideas in good faith mm -hmm. that you mean what you say and, and you trust that the other person you're into or the person you're talking to uh, has the same. And we give that to people generally, you know, just a priori. And, but psychopaths don't do that. They speak a language of lies. They use words as weapons in order to manipulate and cajole people into doing what they want them to do. It's like a form of black magic. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's quite different. And the only way you can defend yourself is to know that these type of people exist yes. and to know the, the rhetorical methods that they use and then to find your fucking cojones to stand up to them and be like, no, that's child abuse. We're not tolerating it. And I don't care how you want to justify it. Yeah, which brings us back around to where we sort of start at this point that, you know, as in Burlington, home, it's crazy, as in the home, so in society. And what we're seeing is we're seeing these types of people um, like they they are in control of the woke ideology. They are the ones pushing it. They are the ones advocating for this stuff. Do all of those people have personality disorders? I'm sure they don't. I'm sure some of them are perfectly normal people who have good intentions and are just getting pulled along with it because they've been spellbound by the people using this language. And so we'll return to Burlington and Vermont and what's going on there. And this is an important point that I wanted to bring up because I didn't get a chance to mention it yet. So, you know, the woke, they, they're always talking about LGBTQ and, you know, the minorities and listen to minority voices and all this stuff, right? You three are gay men, um, for those watching who did not know yet. We are, <laughs> Josh, we are. And I think my membership card lab. <laughs> and this it's a it's an interesting point that I want to make because this is the story here about what's happening over there in Burlington and in Vermont in general. The the three people who are standing up the most to the insanity that is happening over there in that city and in that entire state 
are three gay men, right? It's it's not the it's not the strong masculine heterosexual dads or any of that stuff. Where where the fuck are those people? Because they are not involved in this fight. It is three gay men who are being demonized by these people who are being accused of all this horrible shit, of being the hateful ones, of being the ones who are attacking children and all this stuff, when it's actually the opposite. They are the ones coming for the children, and it is these three gay men who are standing up and saying, enough, stop. Well, that's that's, that's a for them, right? Which is why they're always so quiet about it. Yeah. All, all of their language, uh, you know, usually revolves around, oh, we include all voices, yes. and blah, 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 right? right? Um, yet, um, there's never any mention save from us that uh we're a group of gays and lesbians yeah and um yeah i've had i mean like we said before i've had a lot of uh press ink spilled on me especially on the gender subject and i've had many people um express surprise even to learn that i was that i am gay uh and and when the press does mention it it's in passing and they say that i identify as gay yeah. i've been gay my whole life but you know <laughs> part of, part of that they do this deliberately. Yes. They do this deliberately to put a question in the reader's mind about whether you are really, really gay. gay. This yeah. is how low they right. will go. Right. They, yeah, absolutely. It also shows that there is this. That's, that's this, why people are surprised because they see me in person and they're like, whoa, this dude's super gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's also, it shows that there's this general assumption amongst these people that to be gay means you must agree with that ideology and they're shocked when there are gay men who don't and not only don't but are actively opposing it they're like surprised by that you know i know they are surprised but what you know if i could make them understand this you know i sometimes i wish there were some way to just force people to sit in a room for 20 minutes not be able to leave and have to listen to this you know of course gay men are we gay men are against this. Not all gay men are because they're they have not processed through what this is actually doing. But I, I can't speak for Kevin and, and and Christopher, but I can say for myself, and I am not uncommon. I am a common type of gay. <laughs> I would have been transed. I am the target. The kind of little boy I was is the target that is getting trans today. The vast majority, not all of them, but yes, numerically, the vast majority of these so-called trans kids are proto-homosexuals. This is, this is transing away the gay. Of course I'm against it because I'm thinking about eight-year-old me who thought that God was angry with him and had put me in the wrong body or was punishing me and that I should have been born a girl because I didn't have the right thoughts for a boy. I would have been trans. Of course, I'm horrified at the thought that, my God, had my mother been alive in this era and I were that age, she would have won. I would have been surgically mutilated. How, why the hell would you think gay men would be behind this? Yeah, at its foundation, it is, uh, transing children is uh, homophobic, is anti-gay yes. in, yep. in its framework. Emergent therapy. And the, even the DSM has their, uh, their diagnostic criteria for, um, gender dysphoria these days, it include the most recent revisions or talk about um, adolescents uh, preferring relationships or friendly relationships with with the opposite gender as opposed to their same gender or sex. And so, yeah, yeah they, they, they've continued incrementally they have, they to revise re the criteria to really encapture all um, homosexuality, all, all gay and lesbian yeah, youth. Yeah, yeah. 
and and it's really frightening. We've the whole mission was to to eradicate and shed gender roles. If you want to be a woman who wears pants and works on an engine and loves to ride a motorcycle, you can do that and still be a woman. And if you want to be a man who waxes his eyebrows and wears makeup and carries a purse, you can still, you know, eradicate the gender roles, but now we've embraced them. And that's one of the things I agree with you. I too am one of those I worry because if I was a young boy these days, my life they would have tried they'd be trying to trans me also but i also i find it repugnant that we are assigning what the role is to be a man or a woman based upon a set of preconditioned stereotypes what we used to call sex role stereotypes that we were supposed to be getting rid of right which you know, claim they are against, but they are actually the most in favor of because that's they that's the very basic language of, of lies. Yeah. This is where it comes back right. to the Christopher thing. These people it's, are it's lying. Appalling. It's shocking to me. Like uh, I'm clearly a gay man. I carry a bag most times. Um, <laughs> Uh, I went to school to be an educator, and then when I decided, when I got married, I wanted to stay home and um, take care of my family. Um, I'm the person who folds the laundry, washes the laundry, folds the laundry, buys the groceries, washes the dishes, and vacuums the house and makes the bed. Those are, by all, according to the APA, I'm the woman. I know. I'm a housewife, too. And, you know, what really bugs me is, you know, when we were growing up, you might guys, you guys might remember this, early 2000s, like when when straight America was tr- finally starting to come along and understand, like, hey, I get it. They're like, but we always heard that stupid question, which one of you is the boy and which one of you is the girl? Yeah. I'm like... Mm, well, neither. And then apparently but, those but people now went and took over the APA. <laughs> and now they're like, well, if you wash the dishes, you're clearly the woman. Yeah, see, I, I don't know if I would have been one of those kids myself. Like, yes, I was a very sensitive kid. I liked to read. I sat out of gym class. I wasn't athletic, any of that stuff. Um, I had no desire to wear women's clothes or heels or anything like that. I never played to dress up. That wasn't something that was my experience. But I mean, me neither. I, for the record. I don't know. You know, who knows? Who knows if, if you know if I was coming up today, perhaps. But I know a lot, and I've spoken to a lot of gay men who tell me the exact same things that you guys are saying right now. That if they were growing up today, they would have been pushed in this direction. And like anyone who's listening to us, really think about that, fathom that, because that is incredibly important to internalize about all of this. Like that is why you're seeing so many gays and lesbians and bisexuals and, and these types of people who don't really conform to the norm in that way actually speaking up about this stuff and i think a lot of people aren't aware that there really are as many of us as there are because on a lot of the bigger platforms our voices are suppressed we're censored we're, we're kicked off we're pushed out by the algorithm on twitter though it is a little more apparent and even myself i did not realize how many of us there actually are until i went on twitter two years ago and became more active yeah, because it's so upsetting to think that, like, that you're alone in this at times. And then yeah. you finally make connections. I mean, that's why that's why I appreciate you guys yeah. so much. And, Same. and appreciate everything that we do. And, you know, if it wasn't for us getting together. And and, and I, I need to make reference. It, it was it wasn't necessarily just the three of us that that brought us together. We did have a very strong-willed, passionate lesbian who was with us, who we mm-hmm. lost recently, and 
Um, Give her her props. Yeah, Peg Peggy Lors um, is a <laughs> was a lifelong feminist and lesbian and a champion for for women's rights. And she was full of piss and vinegar. Yeah. And she led the charge on this, and we we learned from her. And once Peggy uh, Peggy departed, moved on. Um, you know, she we died. Realized, she died. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. We realized that um, that is our, our our responsibility to try and do something. Because it's the same thing from, from that side as well. You know, a lot of, not all, but many les lesbian women are typically more masculine. Like they didn't, they didn't want to wear the girls clothes. They wanted to play sports. They wanted to roughhouse with the boys. And we, we called those tomboys. Like when I was growing up, that was typically. Tomboys too. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, there are, I mean, you know, I don't like to call children homosexual or heterosexual, sure. um, but there, you know, there are also, it's, a, this is also important. It should not be forgotten by anyone who cares about this issue. There are also effeminate or artistic and sensitive young mm -hmm. boys who are going to be heterosexual. They're not gay, you know, who are, who are being put into this meat grinder too. You know, yeah. I, there are boys who were very like me um, but who, who are heterosexual, but when they, they were treated homophobically as boys, they mm -hmm. were subject to anti-gay abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what the child, what the child, it bothers me because I have a personal emotional interest. You know, I, my tribe, right? Fellow gay men. I mean, this is a natural emotional connection I have, but, but it, it, it's not that it's worse to do this to a gay kid. This is, this is a crime against humanity to do to any child. Yes. And yeah. let's re I'll just recall also that the, one of the largest growing demographics of people being referred to gender clinics, in addition to the 4,000% increase we've seen in young adolescent females going, um, but the autistic community is yep. being hopelessly preyed upon here yes. and um, and driven and groomed into this because they, uh, the transgender advocates and activists really know that once they get the idea in a um, person with autism mind that they will fixate upon. Yeah, uh, the recent uh, for them. Project Veritas did a recent nationwide study on gender clinics and that was one of the things that they, you know, revealed from that investigation is how many of these young kids have autism and that they know that the people the people treating quote unquote treating them, they know that, they understand it. They're they're caught on camera, hidden camera saying it. So and the clinicians, they see the they see the young adolescent girls coming in that have cut marks all over their bodies for self harm. Uh, remember when it used to be a, a warning sign to plastic surgeons that you're yes. not supposed to um, encourage this type of no, behavior, and now it's completely upside down. Oh, let me cut you the right way. Now it's a pre qualifier. Yeah. 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 Thank you. The other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, boys, but we were up there, uh, you know, walking around town, checking out the sites. I noticed that what seemed to be the high school was all closed up and covered and boarded up and graffitied. Can you just explain how much these uh, these these children loving city council members and the, this community who just loves children so much up there in Burlington? Can you explain what's happening with the high school? Oh, that's you. <laughs> oh man. So um, th we have a few dilapidated buildings with, that are boarded up and graffitied in town. One of them is Memorial Auditorium, which I think might have been the, pl the place that you're referencing too, but uh, we also have the old the old YMCA's dilapidated, boarded up. Uh, we have an issue with 
zoning and and land use laws that are overly cumbersome and 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 burden property owners as such it it's uh, very difficult to build anything in this state. It's very difficult to renovate anything in the state. It can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars of your own money to try and fund um, um, the tests that you need to do to be able environmental to environmentally be and, oh, in line. But so also the high school is on North Avenue. That was, uh, it was multiple buildings, I believe like seven or eight buildings, but the superintendent during covid they they tested found pcbs inside but i don't the believe PCB I don't levels believe the that were claiming the levels that they were going by were issued by the state which were many times ridiculously higher than, what the EPA lower says than is... they they needed to be right. according they were much lower than the epa standards which were much higher according to the epa and the school was safe. so they shut the whole school down they moved the kids to a macy's building downtown absolutely ridiculous and then tell them what debt they saddled the taxpayers with mm -hmm. this bullshit that didn't need to be closed down so then they yeah. um they saddled the taxpayers with debt for a 190 million dollar new school and about 30 to 40 million dollars uh worth of remediation and raising costs for the old structure which then, the taxpayers voted which, which the taxpayers voted for which exceeded the, money, exceeded the city's bonding general obligation bonding capacity our bonding capacity was limited to 150 million every we had told everybody they still voted for the 190 million dollars these are the same people that complain that the city's unaffordable uh, i don't know where they think the money comes from but then recently the news uh wcax i'll give them credit for this they recently had a report they test went in and tested the buildings at burlington high school only only two or three of them were out of epa standards for pcbs and so the whole building didn't doesn't need to be really demolished but only they will do it they will they're going to do it anyway absolutely going to well, do it well for multiple reasons well we know that the superintendent and the mayor's office like really lied by either being deceptive or misleading people that we needed this new building but also let's keep in mind architects don't want to add on their pretty new design to an old 1960s what, building. What pretty new design? They're, what they're probably every new building that is getting put up in this state, and this is driving me crazy. They're ugly. Because architectural abortions. Look, look, they are architectural abortions. <laughs> look, Vermont. I, I'm not. I'm not kidding you. I moved to Vermont in 2002, and I pulled off Highway 89 into montpelier which sits between a couple of peaks in the in the green mountains right i looked at this picture postcard town and i thought disney just put just unrolled their set for ye old victorian new england town this state literally looks to the naked eye exactly like the postcards that you've seen from vermont it is that charming okay but all the new buildings that are coming up are architectural monstrosities. I call it Seattle modern. They have weird angles. They're made of multimedia. There's some cladding here, then some fake stone, then some plastic brick. Yeah. Uh, they're all modern lofts that yeah. Z can feel comfortable in. They're ruining the actual English and New England character of these, this. Day. These people hate beauty. I'm truly they hate, beauty. They hate 
Our friend uh, Ricky, who goes by Gay Toad on Twitter, he's an architect, and he posts about this often, of how abhorrent he finds modern architecture and it's just it's it's depressing it's sad it's hollow you know and it almost feels like like that that's the that's the type of feeling they want to instill into people to demoralize yes to demoralize and another thing i want to bring up is you know you have to wonder how many of these like politicians are friends with the contractors and it's all about just getting money in their pockets you know nepotism and all that stuff it's all about shuffling money all around whether it's through i mean in Vermont, the deck's stacked against them when it comes to, to um, builders because of how difficult it is to build here. But even everything that our government on every level does, also they always commission studies and reach out to, um, to consultants. The number of consultants, I mean, you want to know shadiness, go and start poking around who's receiving consulting fees in your municipal uh, budget. Yep. For sure. So corrupt. So corrupt. <laughs> this, this is what happens. You get these people in, in you know, positions of power. Yeah. They get a little authority and a little money. And before you know it, it's a shit show. Um, it's crazy up there. The other thing, people, I don't know if people know, but uh, Fred Sargent was attacked in, I think it was 22. Was that last year? Or was it 21? Yes. 2022. Yeah. He was attacked at the Burlington Pride. They had it in uh, September, October. They have it late up there and he went out with a sign that said you know gay not queer and uh he had a, a sign that was like a, a circle with a line through it it said woman face and black face saying you know to no to woman face and no to black face do you want to tell folks a bit about who fred Sargent is and fred yeah. Yes. Yeah. And also for those listening, we did an episode with Fred Sargent. So you can go back into our catalog and you can find that entire conversation, which goes more into depth about all of this. But I guess give him a run. Fred Sargent is a, you know, 70, he's in his 70s now. He's a gay rights pioneer. He was at Stonewall um, and he was responsible for helping found the first Christopher Street Liberation Day Parade, which was the first pride. Um, and he was a honored police veteran. Uh, he worked very hard over his life to normalize, you know, homosexuality in public as, as a police officer. He was out, um, you know, very early, you know, through like the 70s and 80s um, at a time when it was really important to have people be out. And he was he was assaulted um, because some uh, by a woman, a woman, a woman, a group of women, too. I think it was a bunch of them. This is a man who walks with a cane. Yeah. Let's let's use her name. Her name is is Leslie Fuller. Fuller. Her yeah. name is Leslie Fuller. And she, Leslie Fuller, by the way, this is our state's attorney again, our 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 district attorney who won't prosecute any crimes. Right. Leslie Fuller walked up to Fred. First she poured coffee on his head. We have it all on tape. We should have on tape. Then she grabbed his sign out of his hand, started ripping it, pulled it away from him, knocked him to the ground, knocked him off his cane. People stood around watching. They mm -hmm. just stood around watching. Not a goddamn person went to help. It's all on tape. It is right there. There is no disputing who did what. Right. What did she? Charges against Leslie Fuller were just dismissed by that bitch prosecutor, Sarah George, who is a narcissistic mommy tone uh, controller who actually wants to increase crime here dismissed her charges and gave Leslie Fuller 10 hours of community service and no criminal record. And a fine. Oh, and a fine. Yep. 
shameful. So shameful. And it, it, it is that Sarah George only charged Leslie Fuller with simple sim simple assault. Now, we spoke about hate crimes earlier today mm -hmm. and how they can be used as modifiers. Um, I know a lot of people who are lawyers. It can be very difficult to prove um, hate as an intent. Um, now, Vermont hate crime statutes are... Um, Ordinances are very specific. It's that it includes the uh, real or perceived sexual or gender identity of the person, of the victim. Now, again, because this can be really hard to prove, um, you know, there's a lot of um, prosecutorial discretion. But I will say, Mr. Sargent, even if people didn't know that that's Fred Sargent, gay rights pioneer, the person who founded the original Pride Parade, which everybody was there commemorating, Fred's holding a sign that identifies himself as gay, as gay, you know, so both real and perceived, he met the criteria mm -hmm. of Leslie's assault being moved, um, augmented with a hate crime modifier. Hate crime modifiers don't apply to Fred Sargent, gay rights pioneer, being assaulted in an apparent act of hate-motivated attack. Then. Who do they apply to? Qualify, yeah. Are they going to be applied? Are they only being applied politically? And then if that's the case, that's completely unfair. In Burlington, we are in an environment where the state's attorney or the district attorney um, chooses, apparently, who and how she wants to prosecute based on her own political uh, leanings, right? This is the state's attorney who used to, on Twitter, have her bio lined read educating white men this is the state's attorney educating white men was in her byline the state's attorney who prosecuted a uvm student because he was overheard using the n-word on a phone call overheard by someone else and she well she tried to on prosecute what him. grounds did she prosecute yeah. him for speech well was, two things the police didn't want it the campus police didn't want it and sarah was I don't like to exaggerate. I don't want to say she was laughed out of court. She was strongly admonished by the judge that there was no probable cause here in any way, shape, or form for her trying to pursue this. But she did try. She did try. Yep. She absolutely did try. Let's yeah. let's so, let's say let's okay. tell this what it is, okay? This political stance, these actions, okay? They and I'm including Sarah George, I'm including Moreau Weinberger, I'm including many of the city council. I'm not exaggerating. I mean this because I've seen it. They consciously wish to encourage violence or death against people like us. Yep. They want us dead. Yeah. I'm not saying that they would arrange our murder. I'm not accusing them of that. What I am saying is they know what they're doing. They know that the way they have been targeting us publicly uh, is, is increasing the danger. They are happy about this. And if any one of us were assaulted or killed, there's a very good chance that the person would not be prosecuted. Yeah, I agree. There's another point I wanted to make, too, and jump off of what Chris was saying here about hate crimes and hate being a motivating factor. And I and I think Josh and I think Josh has spoken of this before, but they hate the elderly. They hate the older generation. That's also part of this. They hate their elders. They do. 
And I think that's something that's a little understated here, but a lot of these indoctrinated youth, they- Also very Maoist. Yes, it is very Maoist. It's like- Yeah, it's very Maoist. Listen to, the whole message is listen to the children. Listen to the last 10 years, we've heard these people like Sarah George and other elected officials who are essentially just demagogues. Parents are encouraged to- And they turn around, they're like, we gotta listen to the children. They're the future. I'm like, they're not in charge. They're five. They're they don't know what the fuck is going on. The <laughs> they're literally five. Yes, literally five. They didn't comprehend their student loan package and need to be bailed out. Why on earth would I listen to them about anything financial? Yeah. Why? And, and, uh, I know. and when I hear people like my state representative, Emma Mulvaney Stanek, talking about how I listen to my child, and I'm thinking, when I was nine and 10, I believed in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that my parents should have. You, you still know, believed at Santa at nine? Well, yeah. <laughs> Can't watch me for yeah, years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they they did they didn't even tell me the truth. You know, it was my sister who did. <laughs> and right. she did it out of anger one day because I made her mad. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it, but the point. Oh, Brent, Brent, Brent's saying that it's Maoist. I think there is something to that. Well, it's like regards. American. It's the yeah. it's the new American Marxism. It's when Ameri- when Marxism comes to America, it has to be palatable to the most number of Americans in the way they're doing. It is pushing it through this woke nonsense, yeah. and we're seeing the effects manifest in the real world in the form of these basically coddling mommy DAs who refuse to prosecute anyone but white conservative men. And then they engage in stochastic terrorism, literal stochastic terrorism. By encouraging the youth. By encouraging the youth to engage in violence against people whose politics they disagree with by labeling them things like transphobic and and other nonsense terms. There's another point I want to make, too. Well, to destroy the justice system. The justice justice system is the only thing that has the power to keep them in check Mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. And there's been an active... They're weaponizing it against... on, On the third, you know, on on the judicial branch for Mm -hmm. years now because they have no purpose for the judicial system. They want mob justice. Mm -hmm. They want to have their red guard little struggle sessions with March 40, 50, 60 senior citizens out, put the dunce cap on them, have children ridicule and shame them, and then either imprison them or get them to apologize Mm -hmm. and then, you know, make them sit in the town square. Yeah, and another thing I want to point out really quick that's important, like, look, I understand that it is normal for the youth to, like, rebel against the older generations. That is normal. That is not what I'm talking about here. This is different than just a rebellion. This is an actual hatred of the elders, yes. hatred of the older generation, a despising of them. And disgust. Mm-hmm. Yep. And look at look at the similarities. I mean, this may be, this is maybe New England specific, right? And you've made this analogy before uh, between Vermont as it is now, New England as it is now, and the crucible mm-hmm. letter. Yeah. Uh, this sort of puritanical behavior never really left New England. It's just mm-hmm. taking a Absolutely. different form now. That is an interesting point. Yeah, it's very creepy how the, it, it's it's our culture has changed, but our the behaviorisms have not. We haven't really learned to un let's to separate from that that tendency to want to isolate you know an individual in the community and for you know whatever reason you know in the past it was because they were gay or because they were you know maybe a black person in a white community now it's if you're a conservative or if you're even like seen as a yeah. white heterosexual yeah. male you're white 
the, that's interesting that the puritan point though like that those customs that go so far back into the colonial period can manifest in this newer way and it reminds me of a book that i started reading but never finished i need to go back to it that was really fascinating about american history in that period and it's called albion's seed i highly recommend it it's a really interesting book and it talks about that those early customs and how that is very much still like you can see the remnants of that in the different regions like New England, or if you come you know, to New York and New Jersey, it's like you have the Quakers in one area, you have the Puritans in another area, and that stuff is foundational. And, and it, do you still well, see that? I think we imported it from England and from oh, and yeah. the it, old it, world. Because Elizabeth, I mean, Elizabeth kicked out the malcontent Puritans. Yep. That's well, what happened. Right, and they well, here. very similar issues. I mean, the reign of terror in France, um, uh, they they lived through a very similar time and and all throughout Europe today you find this othering of people. Yeah. There's the conformists who who really go along with this transgender and parrot it, and then they immediately try to other. I mean, you talk. We can talk about the attacks that we have against our speech, but it's nothing compared to what's going to what Josh says about you know them coming from england and that is basically the whole thesis of that book albion seed is how those customs originated in england and how they came over here and how they are still very much present in the different regions of, of the early you know colonial united states up to the up to the modern day so it is interesting to see that like oh well, the whole puritan mentality of new england never really totally went away. It just kind of transformed yeah. into this, this new form now of what you're seeing. Well, it's always bubbling yeah. right under the surface, right? Yeah. Imagine like a hypothetical. Let's say the chief of police here and uh, the mayor and whoever came together and said, okay, it's, uh, you know, rules don't apply for one day. We're going to do the purge. Uh, we're going to let you uh, grab up uh, Slocum, Falcon, and Hurley and stone them to death in the town square. How many people do you think would show up for that? How many... New Englanders, how many Vermonters, Burlingtonians would be there to do it? Do you think that there'd be a soul who stood up and objected to it? No. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. The last couple years very much revealed a lot about how many of those people probably would go along with it in regards to the COVID mandates and the lockdowns and all of that stuff. Um, I have a feeling a very small percentage would stand up and say anything about it, and a very large percentage would either go along with it or silently watch as it was happening and do nothing. This is this is we titled an episode uh, the lottery. This is this is earlier. I mean, I know you're giving a you're giving a contemporary reference, but I'm going to take it back because I have an interest in people remembering that the world existed before they were born. This is Shirley Jackson's 1952 story, The Lottery. Great short story, <laughs> right? The mm -hmm. the uh, the New England town where once a year there is a lottery. Everybody puts his name his children's name, his wife's name, into a special box. And everybody gathers, the whole town gathers. These are the people that you buy your grain from, the mercantile that you go to, the farmhands that you hire for the seasonal crop. They all come together, and one person's name is pulled out of the special box, and that person wins the lottery that year. And the end of the story is the beginning of the person who starts throwing the stuff. One person is killed every single year, and everybody agrees that it's normal. Yeah, there's this ancient sort of tendency for human sacrifice. It goes back to, you know, the before time and the long, long ago, and that instinct is still here, both to engage in the behavior and to tolerate it. Yeah, it's taken a new form now. It's digital. It's not as brutal. You know, we yeah. call it canceling. 
but it's still that same ancient sort of old behavior. Oh, and it's more than digital. You could tie that psychologically to the trans stuff, that sacrifice, and to the abortion issue as well, you know. And it's like how, a cult of, of death. Yes. They're very obsessed yep. with death and yes. they're against life. They're against heterosexual people coupling one man, one woman, you know, raising the children. Like they're that's childhood. They're against children being children. Yep. The other thing I wanted to mention family. they want to attack the family. Even yeah. the president of the United States will tell you they're not your children. They're our, they're children. our children. They're everyone's children. children. It's so creepy. creepy. It's absolutely creepy. And the the best thing I could tell anybody is really uh pull your children out of public schools. If you can, homeschool your kids. If you can't homeschool your children, uh, look out, look for a private or parochial school. And I would suggest a parochial school because a lot of a private schools, yeah, yeah, private schools tend to be uh, ideologi ideologically captured, but a parochial school will not be. And, and what uh, a heavy statement that is! I have pull, heard you know, pull your children from public yeah. schools. This is this is actually um, a good point to kind of lead into the. Hey, hey, get rid of their cell phone. I'm sorry if your kid yes. has a phone. It needs to be a flip phone where they can text their friends. Yeah. You know what? I was perfectly fine learning how to do that three that thumb punch thing. To get rid of the smartphones, your children should not have smartphones in any way, shape, or form. It is horrible, horrible for the development of your young girls and for their yeah. self-esteem, yeah. for their body. Um, it is, they have no need for it. It is only an enhancement, an enhanced way for predators to be in their pockets. Mm -hmm. Get rid of their smartphones Get and pull them out of public schools, and you will have your family. So this leads me into, you know, because we're, we're about an hour and a half in right now, and we spend so much time talking about this stuff. And, you know, often when you talk about all the problems that are happening, obviously, you're going to have people who are saying, well, what are the solutions? Let's talk about some, some solutions. And you're recommending some things right now. And I guess this is the final thing I would like to, to ask you guys about, like, what do you think really has to be done to at least slow this madness down? And I know, I know you're going to have probably different views on this. I know Josh is a little more blackpilled on this issue, and I, I actually kind of agree with Josh. I think, I think things are going to get worse. Um, I hope they don't, and I will keep trying. You know, we'll keep doing the show. We'll keep doing whatever we have to do to try to stop it from getting worse. But I got to admit, I am not feeling very hopeful on that. But what can we do? And do you think things are going to get worse before they get better? Um, yeah, you go for it. Yeah, I, I agree with Josh. I think I think it is going to get worse, but I think it has to get worse. You know, this is this has probably happened before. Not not the same thing, but um, you know, I imagine that there's some kind of you know anthropological you know social history of cycling through you know good and bad periods. We may be bound for a dark age. Yeah, of some sort. Yeah. Um. We're definitely going to see a lost generation. That's yeah. for sure. For multiple and a lost generation for those who aren't really familiar with their term. COVID from gender. And, well, yeah, from COVID and stuff. But uh, if you take the term, the term comes from um, my understanding of it is uh, when I've studied uh, Western civilizations and, and European history, especially post World War One, World War Two. Um, after those wars, you always tended to have a lost generation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, post World War One was the last people who do want to see things get better. They need to leave us not to be the only ones out here saying things. Right. They need to leave us. Yeah. They need to be standing beside us. Right yeah. now, it seems to us that what there's only maybe ten of us total in this town that are willing to speak up, and only a few of us publicly. 
it, yeah. I agree. I agree with Josh and with Kevin. I do fear that it will get worse for a period of time. I am encouraged recently. Um, like we said earlier, we, the guys have been doing the show uh, for the last few years. We first kind of clicked together right before COVID. But Ke Kevin and I knew each other back when uh, Mr. Sister took place, which was 2016. And, um, you know, so we've been addressing this subject um, for a while now, but it's 2023 and and now we have 19 states out of 50 in this country that have taken action to uh, properly safeguard children from gender uh, transition medicine that tends to harm, surgically mutilate vulnerable children. And uh, I find that encouraging. Yeah. Well, it also, it can, it can be really difficult here in Vermont and I imagine in New York State also uh, because of the sheer capture this ideology has upon this region. I am encouraged that many states have already taken action and that means that we're bound for the Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're here for a reason. Uh, maybe everybody on this panel might not agree with me, but I believe that, that God has us here for a reason. And that's it's because we each have a different set of skills. And when we come together, we're able to powerfully um, spread the truth. I agree with that. And be a voice of dissent um, as civilly as we possibly can at times. Uh, but somebody needs to be here to do it. If we were to leave to go to to warmer areas where we wouldn't necessarily have to worry about this, then we're nobody's left at this point. And and it is encouraging. There are many people who pull their cars over and reach out to me on a regular basis and thank me. That's for what nice. doing, but do have a fear, tremendous fear about speaking up on this issue because they worry about losing their jobs. That's a yes. fear for anybody, losing their job and not being able to take care of your family. Uh, some of them have children in schools and they worry about their children being mocked and ridiculed and targeted because of it. Uh, these are fears that they have. They express their gratitude that I stand up and, and say something about it. And it's not enough. It, it's not enough. I, I agree with Kevin. You need to step up. I recognize- You need to step up, put skin in the game. Put skin in the game, step into the arena. You know, you will have people- yeah, and yes, you're going to get run through the coals. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have a lot of shit coming your way for doing it. But what other hill is there to die on besides, like, biological reality itself? Like, we're in a society where you can't even say anymore what a woman is and what a man is, or you're going to lose your very livelihood? Enough is enough. You guys need to stand the fuck up now. And like you said, you said, yes, be civil, do it civilly. But, you know, sometimes there is no nice way to say no, something. No, this no. is why I love Josh's show so much, because he doesn't mince words about it. We need to tell these people to go fuck themselves. Yeah, I, I'm going I, I, I'm, I'm to sort of disagree with half your sentence there. Um, I don't want to hear one more goddamn word about civility, okay? <laughs> I, I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to acknowledge it. Shut up. <laughs> civility is an excuse these days for cowardice yeah. there's nothing civil about unpersoning people for recognizing sex there's nothing civil about running me and thousands of other people out of their jobs for expressing our political opinions on our own time there is nothing civil about cutting girls breasts off there is nothing civil about chemically castrating young boys with the same chemicals yeah. that we use to make sure that sex offenders can't get an erection. 
this isn't about civility. This is about yes. basic fucking morality, basic yeah. sanity. I don't give a shit how offended people are. As a matter of fact, I hope they get so angry that they spin around like dervishes and wake up. I do agree with Josh there. And, you know, and just to comment more from Christopher's side, you know, that's very much obviously the politician in him coming out. And, and it is interesting to see you guys kind of contrast in the different ways that you uh, deal with this issue. It takes, but, it takes all sorts. It's yeah. like you have to have people all, from all different angles attacking the same issue using different tactics. Yep. And this is what drives me nuts about some of the feminists complaining online yep. is that they don't like the masculine approach of speaking plainly and being, you know, aggressive by just saying no to these people in public. They want to, you know, coddle and jewel and bring everybody in. They need, they need men. They, they, yeah, I know. Do I coddle? Because I, I mean, I, no, I respect, no, no, you, not, I respect not, your positions on this. I, they do. I, I understand I, what Chris meant. I'm not, when, I'm, when I'm I not speak, talking yeah. about you and your approach here. We, we have some differences, yeah. but no, you're not the person I'm thinking of when I say okay. these things. Right. But these feminists, these feminists, and I used to be a male feminist, right? I've, I've come from the inside. It's not that I'm not the chauvinist guy that they want me to be who, who always hated women, blah, 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 and I don't hate women now. I hate bitches, but I don't hate women. Um, these women, and I, I know this is provocative to say, these women need a man. They need to hear a man's direct candor. They need a man once in a while in whatever context, whether it's their husband, whether it's their cousin. These women need to hear a man say, shut the tears off, princess, right now. You don't like the heat? Get out of the kitchen, go back to the other kitchen. Let me help you. No, I'm not I'm not trying to be a shithead. No one's gonna clip that. Let me do a man's job. Yeah. You know, if you are not cut out for this, I'm not asking you to do it. But we need men's voices now. We have had too much feminization. It's time for women to yeah. let men be clear and candid. It could yep. be a yeah, disaffected thumbnail title back to the other kitchen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my gosh. So now in Burlington, there's there's a new wave of stickering. There's there been more people who have come to conjoin the stickering because when you when they push back against something, they think they're gonna have one effect, but really all they end up doing is just inspiring more of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is when I when I speak about civility, uh, just to pull it back for a second, it's that I, I try I recognize that in these face-to-face -face conversations, the, pa the power my words have, have the ability to impart wisdom and express knowledge, but they also have the ability to either escalate or de-escalate the situation. Yeah. Um, there are ways to impart knowledge and de-escalate, and there are ways to impart knowledge and escalate. And, and I'm always trying to navigate a channel in person, a different forum if I'm, you know, having a show and teaching an audience that's more entertaining, but a person-to-person real-life connection, I need to be able to try to engage in that manner in a way that um, is honest and sincere, uh, but not intentionally um, vicious, you know. Um, what I would define, what I'm comfortable, you know, walking away 
um, knowing that I'm not being vicious. Now, what the other person believes, now trust me, these are people who are so detached from reality that merely stating biological truths are somehow violence to them. I can't control how they take it, but I can control how I try to express it. Yeah, which is and it's something that takes time. It is important because there are certain people that you're going to reach that way, for sure. But I think there are a lot of people as well who they need to hear it the way Josh says it. And they might need, they right. might absolutely need to hear it for them, to, for it to sink in. So I think, you know, yeah. some people can be more abrasive and do it, and other people might not be as abrasive. And we probably need both methods to reach all those different types of people. But yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm really just trying to avoid getting punched in the face or stabbed. Absolutely. I get it. Face to face. This was the thing that I found most interesting when I was up there. You know, when we went out to protest, you saw it on Fresh Sergeant, uh, whenever that was last year. Um, it was kind of crazy that like the they're a lot more aggressive and and violent and in your face than even the new york city antifa like the new york city antifa we saw them when we went out to protest the drag queen story hour they were pathetic and feckless kind of pathetic they are hiding behind masks they're afraid to be videotaped afraid to be you know yep. this is something we saw up there too they did oh don't videotape me don't videotape me oh. but they, here they um, hide their faces more. here they hide their faces behind masks they use umbrellas to block it they they play all these games, yep. um, but that's what scares. That's kind of scary. Is in Burlington, like especially if the target is a smaller woman or a smaller person, they will go after them. You know, as we saw with Fred Sargent, and if they can isolate you in a mm -hmm. crowd, they put up their little umbrellas. They you know block it, and then they'll just do whatever they want behind that yeah, censored well, wall. That goes back to Josh's point. We need more men in this fight. We do. We need they more are men. less likely to do this. They are less likely to do to it to big burly men. Because they know that we are more likely to hit back. Yeah. And that is just, that is just yep. the fact of the matter, you know? So men stand with the women who are actually out there, and I love them. I think it's great, you know, even though they're, they might not be as abrasive, and defend them, you know? Be that shield. For, for for this because this is this is a humanitarian issue like Josh said it's and and I think it is important to bring up the whole feminist thing because a lot of the rad femmes who are standing up against gender ideology are also ostracizing the men who are trying to to be a part of this too as if this is just an issue that is erasing women's rights only well yes because I understand the disparity of force, the biological differences between the men and women. It affects women in a more direct way when men are in women's spaces. I get that. But this is a human issue. They are erasing men as much as they are erasing women, period. And we need the men to speak up. We yes. need that masculine energy. Yep. We need that fuego. We need that, no, sweetie, you are not going to be tolerated here. You're you're acting out of line, and we are putting our foot down. We're saying no. Yeah, some might be more civil, you know, about it in a way that Chris describes that type of civil. You know, not not the type that Josh was talking about. And some of us have to just say fuck you, you know. And that 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 might be the only way that some of these people it might they might be able to process it. Perhaps will it turn others off? Sure, whatever. And I think there's a place. Um, there is, you know, I know, I know I'm arguing my own corner a lot here. I'm not actually arguing against Christopher, but my, I, I, I argue for the sort of brashness that I do so vociferously because I believe that this approach is socially disfavored right now. It's yeah. been silenced. And I believe I want to make, I want to force, I, I'm, I want to use force, social force to make space for this approach because there are sometimes not everything, 
but there are some times when I don't think de-escalation is what we need. Sometimes my goal is to throw actual fear into people. I want to shock them. I want to make them so afraid that they are fearful of crossing the line anymore. There are some people who cannot be negotiated with, and I believe that on this issue, we are well past cultural negotiation. I'm not negotiating anymore. I am treating this as war. We are at war. I do not want to persuade the parents. I don't care about how they feel. I give no shits about their feelings at all. The only thing I'm interested in is forcefully stopping them from hurting children. And setting an example for others yes. to, uh, you know, that it like, is okay. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how many tears you shed. I want to scare you. And if that means you hate me, I'm absolutely fine with it. The only thing I care about is stopping you. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a, a good point for us to end here. You know, we're at about an hour and 50. Yeah, we can wrap it up there. Yeah, any final words, guys, that you'd like to, to share with everyone? And uh, Come to Burlington. Come to Burlington, yes. And please tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter and, you know, the Internet. Oh, oh he's going to make me do it. Okay. Well, you uh, do it every week. Okay. Uh, <laughs> actually, this is a job for Shelby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello, this is Shelby. Uh, Mr. Kevin and Mr. Josh would like you to pay a little bit more attention to their show, which is called Disinfected. You can find it on a couple of places. First, the YouTube, if you go there, it, it's a channel where they have all what they call the content. And then if you want some other stuff, they have some, uh, it's exclusive content on Rumbles. And that's where you can watch, um, you can watch the potpourri of mochery. It's on Rumble. So see us on disaffectedpod.substack.com. You can see us uh, at disaffectedpod on the Twitters. And um, I don't remember the rest. Maybe Mr. Kevin, no. You guys got a Facebook account, too? And yeah. Yeah, but... all those, all those, uh, <laughs> Links yeah. in the description. There, there, there's a Twitter. You can find them on there, too. I know Josh doesn't use it They anymore, put a fresh, fresh show up every Sunday night, usually. Uh, but I do want to comment a bit about Shelby and the voice and, you know, the impersonations that Josh does and stuff. Oh, so I, I think that is important. You know, as serious as Disaffected is as a show, it is important to bring a little bit of levity into this stuff because it is so fucking dark so depressing dark. that if you can't find any space anymore to laugh a bit through all of this you're not going to make it through this fight man because right. it is dark it's depressing it's exhausting like it josh i do wish i didn't have to talk about this stuff and i could just focus on art and music and other things and talk about that stuff more but this it's too important not to and it, it will wear you down so please find time to laugh you know it's important yeah yeah, yeah i agree i i have to uh, humor Humor is my the thing that saves me. Yeah. Being able to laugh. I mean, I, I'm I'm known to laugh at inappropriate times, and yeah. certainly in meetings at inappropriate some, times. Sometimes there is. I have to find humor. Yeah. Sometimes there isn't an appropriate. You know, sometimes there is a time when there is no levity, and you can't have it. And disaffected has that. There are the, there are those episodes where there aren't any jokes. It it's too serious. Too much crazy shit has happened. Where it's just. We're bunk you're hunkering down and it's all serious now but it is important to have that chris tell everyone where they can find you <laughs> oh yeah you can uh you can find me on twitter at um at chairman cap and i'm sure you guys will tag me in this and uh i'm happy to have new followers and and uh join your conversation love 
He's like, don't find me. Don't find me. <laughs> no, please, please do. Please do. I'd, lo I'd love to have new followers. Uh, I'm now on my, I believe, fourth or fifth Twitter account. Which because Cap oh, CAP. Cap that boy. Chairman Cap CAP. But yeah, be no, because the people in this town, um, the gender activists would nuke. Yeah. Pile on and uh, stage a clandestine coordinated attack to just um, ban Support. my account. Sometimes that was on Twitter. Quick on, on Twitter. Twitter. No, not since new Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Not since new Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. The that, like the day that Elon took over, um, I was able to create a new account and then get verified too. Wow, mm -hmm. they, they really Love lost that. their minds, man. <laughs> they hate that. Yeah. They hate seeing that blue check. <laughs> the director of the Vermont Democratic Party was throwing a tantrum that day, Jim Bannon. I was like, today of all days, Felker's back. I'm like, yep. <laughs> Cope and seed. Yeah. Cope and seed, fuck. <laughs> and uh, you guys can also find Kevin on Twitter too. Go follow him. He needs followers. He's under Kevin Hurley QQQ. So are you, are you triple quick? Is that what that means? Your QQQ? Well, I, was, I was heavily into Investco when I did it, and that was. <laughs> I was going to say QQ used to be slang from people crying on the on the internet. So. People crying. <laughs> yeah, we would put QQ at the end. It's another way of making fun of people for complaining about yeah. something. Um, All right, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to like, comment, um, share, subscribe. subscribe. Go watch Disaffected. Give us your money. Give Disaffect your money. And Josh, Kevin, Chris, thank you so much for talking to us. We love you guys. We love what you do. We appreciate it so much. And, and we will be back we'll in Burlington you. soon. Don't worry. Forward to it. Bye. Bye.